Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. When Slate writer Eamon Ismail came into the studio to talk to me, he kept saying the same thing. Mary, why am I so sad today? This sucks. <laughs> We'd gotten together to talk about Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, the name-calling, the threatening video that came out last week. But Eamon can't talk about Representative Omar without talking about himself. So we talked about that, too. Eamon's Muslim, grew up in Jersey. He's got these stories, like how on 9-11, he remembers neighborhood kids coming to his Islamic school and throwing stones at it. Eamon started going to a public school after that. There was that time Eamon landed in court on a trespassing charge, and the judge threatened to deport him, even though Eamon's an American citizen. So when Ilhan Omar says that Muslims shouldn't be complicit in the, the demonization of our community, that resonates with me. That makes me feel like, no, we do have a place here. Here's this politician for once advocating for me. That never happens as a Muslim American. Over the last week, Eamon's watched as this 20-minute speech Representative Omar gave has been reworked, reshaped into a meme and a retweet, spread first by a member of Congress, and then by the New York Post, and then by the president. CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something. I mean, that speech was around for three weeks, but even I hadn't tuned in. Some people did something. When Donald Trump tweeted this video, the message was clear. Ilhan Omar thinks terrorists are just some people. When was the first time you heard the phrase, some people did something? The first time I heard her use those words was when it was already packaged and recontextualized to inform the world that she doesn't care about 9-11. Crazy, right? Eamon wanted to unwrap this speech, look at what Representative Omar was really saying, before it was half-digested and spit out on social media. So today, he and I are going to do just that. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's start off with this speech itself. This speech Ilhan Omar was giving. Where was she? What was she doing? Okay. Ilhan Omar was invited about a week after the Christchurch massacre in New Zealand to address an audience of mostly Muslim Americans in California about um, a fundraiser 
for the Council of American and Islamic Relations. Now, this is different than the international organization. So they leased the name. There's several chapters. This one is in Los Angeles. She showed up and there were protesters, right? Like hundreds of them. So this event has been uh, widely reported before she even showed up, before it even happened. There were articles written by the J Post, for example, that said congresswoman to speak at organization that sponsors terrorism. They were using language like that, which is crazy and also been widely debunked. Like you go to Snopes.com or any of these fact checker websites and they'll walk you through exactly how it's fabricated, this that smear. But anyway, so that's how it was pegged. So a thousand protesters, a thousand people showed up to wave flags and Trump signs and say, terrorists go home. Israel, Omar Elon, go to hell. Yeah, I mean, you look at the protests from outside, it's people with Israeli flags, it's mm-hmm. people with posters of Ilhan Omar's face, clearly very angry with her. Mm-hmm. And then like a small group of people who are supporting her across the street. Yeah. Um, so she shows up to give this speech. What was the room like? Like, who was in the room? Was it people from California from CARE? So the room was... Muslim Americans who were mostly concerned with social justice. And Ilhan Omar's speech, right off the bat, it was about justice and serving justice. And even that quote, halfway through the speech, 10 minutes in, was about injustice, right? It wasn't about how she felt about the 9-11 attacks. The, The phrase in its whole was about how the actions of a few was used after the fact to cast blame and doubt on the whole. So for her, it was about speaking to the truth that Muslim Americans recognize and that the 18 years since 9-11, we've just been constantly having to validate our presence by trying to say, oh, well, we belong here. We've, we've innovated this. We've done this. We, we condemn terrorism. We, we are doctors. We're, we're teachers. We're, we, we contribute to society. We're in the army for 18 years straight. And she was just saying, look, that's not fair and we shouldn't be comfortable in that place that we are. Muslims for a really long time in this country have been told that there is a privilege, that there is a privilege that we are given and it might be taken away. We, to- we are told that we should be appropriate. We should go to school, get an education, raise our children and not bother anyone. But no matter how much we have tried to be the best neighbor, people have always worked on finding a way to not allow for every single civil liberty to be extended to us. And that spoke to me, and I agree with it 100%. I don't understand how we can have the discussion about that phrase that she used while also ignoring the context that she's saying. It, it, it also validates exactly what she's, she was trying to get at in the speech. But halfway in, she uses this phrase where she's talking about 9-11. She's talking about the organization she's speaking in front of CARE. Mm-hmm. And she's saying, she said the organization was founded after 9-11, which is not true. Not it true. just expanded right. a lot after 9-11. And she said, basically, that's because this organization recognized some people did something and we needed to stand up for the rest of people who are being blamed for Mm -hmm. the actions of just a few people. How did that little part of a 20-minute speech, quite long, Mm -hmm. become the part that we all saw? 
it, it makes perfect sense to me. The Republican Party, not to overgeneralize, but they've been depending on that kind of trope for years now, long before Trump. They use images of Muslims to scaremonger. So it makes perfect sense. And showing an image of a Muslim woman wearing hijab saying uh, some people did something and you can add the context saying, oh, well, this means she doesn't, this is proof that she doesn't care about 9-11. That makes perfect sense to them. Why wouldn't it? But what's interesting to me is that it wasn't, it didn't come out of a Republican troll farm necessarily. I mean, it was in the Daily Caller, but the tweet that went viral actually started with this imam from Australia, I think, mm-hmm. named Mohammed Tahiti, yeah. who tweeted this out. And he sort of puts himself out there as kind of a moderate, but at the same time has taken a hard stand, unclear why, against Ilhan Omar. How did that happen? Who is this guy? Oh, man, this guy. I've been trying so hard to not mention him in the pieces that I've written at Slate. Why? So first of all, I should mention that we had like a Twitter spat maybe like two years ago where he you and blocked he did. Me. Yeah. Yeah. He's been around for a while. The reason why you'd be very pressed to find any kind of Muslim that recognizes him as an imam is his long history of providing fodder to anti-Muslim bigots, right? He first of all, lied about his education. He says that he earned a master's in a seminary in Iran. A reporter from Australia, where he's from, contacted that school, and they said he dropped out before he even earned his bachelor's. He also opposes lots of Muslims with public profiles, so this isn't out of the norm for for someone like this. He's advocated for governments to stop building mosques and Islamic centers. He said that halal food, just the halal certification in Australia, threatens Australian way of life. Which is, it's it's insane, right? This is the kind of stuff you would expect out of the alt-right. And here they have someone who purports themselves as a Muslim thought leader validating those biases. I mean, he's also advocated for shutting down Islamic schools in whole. What kind of Muslim leader would, would say that kind of thing? He also says that Muslims are trying to increase their numbers and population in Australia as a means to take over and, and quote, name, rename streets after terrorists. So he's kind of dealing in these tropes and sowing discord, but he's Muslim. Does anyone know what his motivation is? I mean, we can only speculate, right? We'd have to have him in the room. But I think that it's really easy to find an audience for that kind of rhetoric on the Internet. You can find lots of non-Muslims making these exact same claims and advocating for the exact same stuff. But there's something a little special about having a Muslim say that we need to shut down Muslim schools and that Muslims are trying to increase their numbers as a way to take over Western civilization. Like These are really dangerous tropes that he's, he's advocating, right? I think he just found an audience and he's just giving that audience what they want to hear. And that's how this representative from Texas, Dan Crenshaw, picked up this video and sent it out. And then we were kind of off to the races. Right, right. Dan Crenshaw, I should also note, was an administrator of a Facebook group where they called Islam cancer. Like, it totally makes sense that these two would exist in the same orbit on Twitter. The funny thing about this speech, when I watched it, it reminded me so much of the last time Ilhan Omar got into... I don't even know if I want to call it trouble, but like when she made headlines last, which was like maybe a month ago, mm-hmm. she was speaking at a bookstore. She was speaking about Israel. She used the phrase 
when she was talking about colleagues in Congress as maybe they have an allegiance to a foreign Mm -hmm. country. But if you watched the whole speech, she was really talking about how when you take her words out of context, they can be twisted for exactly the purpose you're talking about. Mm. It just seems like that's exactly what was happening this time around, because her whole speech was about empowerment and how do we get liberated as Muslims. And I just can't imagine how frustrating that is. That's that's why I'm so depressed. Like, we as Muslims have constantly had to answer for a minority's viciousness and inhumanity. Imagine being on the side of having to constantly say, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a murderer. That's a lot to carry. And even if I want to be disconnected from it and write about it as a as an outsider, right, as a journalist, I still end up getting defensive and feeling as though I'm the one who's on trial, not Ilhan. Yeah, she says it doesn't matter if you kind of live the American dream, get a house, become a doctor, do everything your parents want, if you can show up at a hospital and be treated basically as subhuman mm-hmm. and not get the care you deserve. It sounds like that really struck a nerve with you. Yeah, I mean, I think every Muslim will recognize what that's like, uh, of feeling as if you have this whole robust and sophisticated personality, your your humanity. You recognize that in yourself, but then you cross paths with someone who doesn't. She spoke, too, about engaging really deeply with people. There was this moment in the speech where she said, part of recognizing that you are a person with civil rights is seeing the person looking at you strangely and not ignoring them and not trying to make yourself look nice and better to them, but instead going up and talking to them. You've tried to do that Mm -hmm. in your reporting. I wonder if your experience tells you anything about how to move past that gap that you're seeing. I personally disagree with her. I don't think that you can uh, talk to enough people and then solve Islamophobia. I think the the issue is a lot more ingrained in how identities are weaponized in this country. And I think as long as we have leaders comfortably go on television and say Islam hates us, that no amount of me shaking hands and smiling at people is going to, to repair that. I don't have that kind of reach. It's necessary to do that kind of work and and try to outreach and be the best Muslim you can be and to set an example, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it'll all be for nothing if we don't focus on dismantling the Islamophobia machine that has been convincing otherwise decent people to, to be afraid of me. But Representative Omar has struggled with this, too. Like, she got into this Twitter back and forth with another representative, this guy Lee Zeldin from New York. Mm -hmm. He's Jewish. She's Muslim, obviously. And they went back and forth, sort of name-calling. At some point, she said, come have tea with me. (laughs) It's unclear if that ever happened. But it's interesting because you can really see her human side Mm -hmm. because she can't help needling him. Like, every once in a while, she'll retweet something to needle at him. And to me, I looked at that, I was like, this is hard, even when this is your job, mm-hmm. to sort of rein yourself in and be able to have these conversations. Yeah, yeah. I remember my, my favorite moment of that spat was him playing a voicemail 
of someone being disgustingly anti-Semitic and him saying, oh, so you must agree with this, huh? Oh, well, yeah. Right. Do you reject this? Yeah. What? So you have to see where she's coming from at this moment. Here's this person who's denying her her human right to being sophisticated and having, you know, a robust view of humanity and saying, well, no, she's Muslim, therefore she's a hateful person and must agree with this person who is disgustingly anti-Semitic. What I see in Elhan Omar as being especially unique is her refusal to uh, to back down in, in these kinds of situations. For example, she is pushing the needle at Representative Zeldin in order to keep pushing that conversation. She was at CARE, and her message was, don't back down. I think, as a Muslim American, I recognize that as being defiant and powerful. And that must be terrifying for the people who think that all Muslims harbor inherently anti-American sentiments. When... Trump tweeted this video, it wasn't like people in Congress sat idly by. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like Americans sat idly by. Almost everyone came out and condemned him for it. So was it that that just didn't feel like enough? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's never going to feel like it's enough. I'm one of those people who saw Nancy Pelosi's condemnation, for example, saying that that video shouldn't have existed. But adding that qualifier, saying that we should always be talking about 9-11 in the utmost respect, to me felt like... Felt like a dig. It felt like a dig. It felt like it wasn't coming from a place of defiance of Trump. It almost felt like a very safe statement to make. And right now, I don't think we need politicians to be playing it safe, not wanting to alienate the potential voters who might also be okay with hating Muslims. I think that we need a full-blown, unqualified condemnation of those statements, and I feel like we haven't gotten that. We got that from journalists. We got that from activists. I think we have yet to see a large amount of politicians on both sides of the aisle outright condemn Islamophobia in this form and in other forms without qualifying it by saying, well, maybe Ilhan Omar did deserve it. And that sucks. Eamon, thank you for coming and talking to me. I'm sorry that I'm always bumming you out. It's okay. You got it. We got to talk it out, man. (laughs) Let's talk it out. Eamon Ismail writes for Slate, and he's the host of a brand new podcast, Man Up. It's launching May 1st. All right, that's the show. You have been listening to What Next. I am Mary Harris, your host. The show is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. Today is the day you should prove your What Next bona fides. Look us up in Apple Podcasts, scroll around, leave a rating, leave a review, because it helps other people find the show. And because we're watching. If you've already done this, thank you so much for doing it. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Catch you tomorrow. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. 
You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.